Good morning. Thank you, Rick. Would you turn with me to Acts chapter 16 as we move along in the book of Acts. Uh, we should continue to pray for Russia, a great country with uh, wonderful people, and I just pray that uh, wisdom will prevail. And so continue to pray for Russia. And Rick, we're glad you're back and safe. And But I know your heart's probably in two places, so I get it. So, yeah, for sure. And uh, we'd love to open with prayer. We've been praying, and that's, uh, that's what we ought to do. We have a couple of cadets with us today. Let's continue to pray for them as they go through their first year. And uh, we're thinking of you, and you're going to make it, and we're going to pray for you. So let's pray. Father, thank you for our cadets who are here today. What a blessing to have them. Continue to encourage them, and as they uh, come off campus for the weekend, um, I pray that this will be a time of refreshment for them and encouragement. Uh, give them the strength to do what they need to do, so many things on their plate. Um, help them with their testimonies, with their lives, and just uh, guide them. And I know that you make divine appointments uh, at the academy, just like you do here, and uh, we just pray for that for them. Thank you for each person who is here. Uh, one thing we know uh, that we tend to not think about often, but we do know that you have intersected all of us together at this time for such a time as this. The Holy Spirit has engineered over the years to bring each person in this room to Colorado Springs. I think most of us were not born here, uh, but you brought us here, and so there's an intersection, which means there's a purpose. And just like I see in the book of Acts, the purpose of your plan, we see that here, and continue to guide and direct all of us to know what that might be. And uh, we just want to pray for that and pray for the service uh, this morning, for the uh, message. Uh, pray that you give me the words to say. And help us all to take this book of Acts and see it pop alive in front of us in a way maybe we've never seen. So guide us and direct us in Jesus' name. Amen. So Acts chapter 16, this morning we we're talking about leap of the faith from Acts, uh, taking Paul to Greece, to Europe, basically. We'll see that in the passage today. And uh, I wanted to let you know next week, again, we're going to be in Acts 17, I think, if we, we get there, which I hope we do today. Uh, get toward it, the marketplace of ideas, and I'd like to share the passage and also just kind of how we see our culture today with the different ideas that are there. Uh, the thing about a marketplace like that is you can buy what you wish, and we see that in the book of Acts where some people bought it, some people did not, and today it's the same thing. You have the right to your opinion, I've got mine. That's a very difficult culture to make an impact on. So that's where we're at, for better or for worse. So we'll take a look at that next week, and then uh, I have planned, just FYI, uh, the sermon uh, strategies and titles and everything through January 1st. Don't read too much into that, but I'm like, I'm jumping ahead a bit, so we got it covered until then, so I want to show you what we're going to do. I saw something in Acts 18 in preparation for that title that basically I see that we don't think about a lot, but it's about the network of Christ, and you'll see that. It's a really awesome look at uh, what God is doing in the early church. November 13, of greater value, what's the most important thing to you? What do you value the most is a question that all of us have to answer and all of us have a value we place on things. What's the greatest value? We'll see. Uh, Acts 20, um, that's two things there with staying alert. That's the passage where first of all, remember Eutychus fell out of the window when Paul was speaking. We'll talk about that. He, he wasn't staying alert. He fell asleep. You're safe here, I think, from that. But uh, later, Paul speaks to the Ephesian elders, and he tells them to stay alert because the wolves are out there. So we'll look at that in due time, November 20th. 
Then we will have Thanksgiving. Uh, gratitude will be the title of the sermon that weekend. Gratitude. So if you have people visiting or you're gone or whatever, uh, it's a one-time thing on gratitude. I, we ought to talk about gratitude more. It's one of the values that is the highest. And so we'll talk about that in November. And then Christmas, uh, as Alicia said, Christmas morning. We are going to meet on Christmas morning, Sunday morning, to keep it simple at 1010 like normal. So you don't have to stress trying to figure that out. Uh, Christmas title, uh, the message will be, He's Here. And the week before, I'm going to talk about the son of David to help you understand who Jesus is and where he came from. But then uh, he's going to arrive in the message on December 25th. Now, one thing about Christmas Day, I want to let you know what we're going to do. We are going to have the tables out again, like we did last week. It is Christmas morning. It's going to be special. And I want our children to feel like when they come here, they're with family, right? So that morning, it's going to be special. You might see hot chocolate, candy canes, whatever. And so children... I encourage you to come in your pajamas, if you wish. Uh, you can wear your feet pajamas. You can wear your fuzzy slippers. You can bring your toys, your stuffed animals, uh, whatever. So let's make it a family event, and the title will be He's Here. Now, I debated whether to say this to adults. Adults, you can also bring your pajamas and wear your pajamas. But I was traumatized last week by the sight of Cam in a bathrobe. So. So you pray for wisdom on that. You pray for discretion. But that's Christmas morning. So now for today, we're going to be in Acts chapter 16. And you know me, I'm a map guy. I like to know where I'm at and orient myself. And uh, it probably comes from having an Air Force pilot for a father who showed me navigation and all that kind of thing. I've always liked to know where I am. And then we lived on the water when I was in high school. And we would navigate on the water. So maps are big to me, so taking you back to the Old Testament, New Testament time, the time of the Bible, where you had still the Mediterranean Sea, it was there back then, different names to the regions, but you see the Mediterranean, the Eastern Med here, and Asia Minor up there, that's now Turkey, uh, you have Greece and then Italy over there, so I mean, you get that, I think you've seen that enough. But last week, when we finished the message, the Apostle Paul and Barnabas in Antioch, Antioch of Syria up there in the corner, and that's when they split, and I'm not going to make a judgment about either one of them, but that's when they split over the issue of bringing John Mark with them, and so what we saw last time was, you saw this slide, <clears throat> Barnabas goes to Cyprus, the island of Cyprus, Paul goes into Asia Minor, Turkey, that way, he does the land route. He does not take a boat. He goes up through the land, goes in the region he was from, but he goes further up there. And it's pretty amazing because, you know, as you look at, these are the, the passages we'll see today and a couple of others. He goes up through Cilicia, and he's going to go to Derby and Lystra. And what do we know about Lystra from the book of Acts that we saw recently? What happened to Paul in Lystra? He was stoned. Now, would you go back to a town where they beat you or stoned you? Probably not. So we're going to see Paul going back through the same area that he was mistreated in, uh, just out of courage and out of dedication. And he's going to work his way up. So let's uh, turn to Acts 16, verse 1, and let me read a little bit there. Uh, we still have a few minutes. That's good. Um, verse 1, Paul came also to Derby. And to Lystra, a disciple was there named Timothy. Yes, this is the Timothy. 
first and second. The son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. So Timothy was a hybrid. He came from a Greek culture, but Jewish as well. So he came from both. He was hybrid. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium, which tells us that the word got around. The early church communicated with itself. In the days before WhatsApp, they still found a way to communicate. And Paul wanted a Timothy to accompany him. He liked Timothy. Timothy was younger, but very well respected. And he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. Now, there are some people who think when he circumcised him, he was kowtowing to the law and he should not have. I believe that this was Paul being smart and saying it's not the biggest issue. We've just had the Jerusalem Council in Acts chapter 15, and we don't want to cause unnecessary offense. So Paul takes Timothy. He's like, Timothy, if you were only Gentile totally, I wouldn't do this to you, but because you're hybrid Jewish, I'm going to circumcise you so that this will not be an issue to the gospel when we go forward. It just is not something that people can bring up. So verse 4, as they went, notice the timing in the passages. Most of the time we see uh, timing in the scriptures, and it means a lot. As they went on their way through the city, so they're moving their way through Asia Minor, they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. That's Acts chapter 15, the Jerusalem Council. So they let everybody know this is what we've decided. Spread the gospel of grace. Don't cause unnecessary offense, but let's keep moving with the gospel. So what happened was, in verse 5, the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in numbers daily. And we see that now in Acts. We've been seeing it. The church continues to grow. And one of the questions for our churches today is, why are we not growing daily? And there are a lot of reasons for it, but we need to think about that. We need to pray about that more. Not just mission work overseas in another place, but what about here? How can we minister in such a way that we see people coming to Christ daily? somehow. And, you know, we've got a burned over culture in many ways. I mean, there's a lot of factors there, but uh, it's a question that I think about every time I look at the book of Acts, and we see it here. Now let's look at the call to Macedonia in verse 6. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, and if you're wondering, the answer is yes. Uh, Galatia is the book that Galatians is based upon, but that's for another day. They were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. One of the regions up there, basically Asia, the Holy Spirit told them, look, I don't want you to go there. I've got something else for you. And so verse 7, when they had come up to Mysia, they attempted to go to Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. For whatever reason, and I think it had to do with going to Greece, the Holy Spirit would not let them go to Bithynia, which is up in the top middle up there, but he said, I got something else for you. So Paul, your plans are great, but I'm not going to honor them in this case. I've got something else for you. So verse 8, passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas. Now, they go from Antioch to Derbe and Lystra. They go to Mysia and Troas. Troas is about 25 miles from ancient Troy. Now, where do you hear Troy from? Remember Helen, the face that launched a thousand ships? And the Trojan War, the Trojan Horse, that was the city of Troy, the ancient city of Troy, about 25 miles from Troas. So they're in that region near the coast of Asia Minor. And so they went down to Troas, 
And that's where the vision happened in verse 9. It made such an impact. A vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there urging him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen a vision, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Like any scripture, there are so many things here. I'd like to point out just a few of them. Have you noticed the change of number here? It's now we. So what does that mean? Probably Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, is now with Paul. And so it's a we now. And they sought to go into Macedonia. Now, I hope you can see that well enough, but in the upper left-hand corner, you see Macedonia. That is that region of ancient Greece. And so the Macedonian vision is this man saying, come up here. And so the significance of that, I don't have uh, Byzantium on the map there, but if you look at Bithynia and just to the left of it, there's that strip of land and there's a break in the middle of it, and that's where Istanbul is. And so that is considered historically to be the dividing line between Europe and Asia. So they've been in Asia, and now the Holy Spirit is saying, I want you to hop across to Europe and go to Macedonia. Macedonia, Philippi, um, in ancient history, King Philip was well known for being a great warrior and conqueror, but his son was even greater. His son was Alexander the Great. And so Alexander the Great went all over the world conquering everything he could, and he died at the age of 32 in Babylon with no more worlds to conquer. So Macedonia has an incredible history of being a, you know, a place of conquering, of you know, military background, of all those kind of things. And so Philippi is one of the key places in Macedonia. It is now a Roman colony. They have the protections that Roman towns have. There were a lot of retired Roman army uh, soldiers there, and there was a great relationship with Rome. So that's Philippi. And so Paul is now going to jump across to Europe, and that's what's going to happen. And notice they respond immediately. So when the Lord spoke and gave them the command, their response was immediate. And I think we need to realize that. They weren't sitting there thinking, well, I don't know if I really want to do this or whatever. It was a clear command from God, and they immediately responded. So that's what we see. And so setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace, which is an island, and you can see it there barely, probably, but it's an island there in the ocean. And the following day to Neapolis, which is up on the coast, and from there to Philippi. Now, they would have gone on what's known as the Ignatian Way. And that's a picture of the Ignatian Way today. So the Romans built roads so well that many of them still survive parts of them at least. And so they took the Ignatian Way from Neapolis up to Philippi, this famous city. And yes, the book of Philippians went to the people in Philippi. So you see the connection here. And it was a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. And we remained in this city some days. How many days? Some, <laughs> whatever that means. So they were there for a while. And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside. It's thought that maybe this was a mile out of town where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. There's debate about whether this is a synagogue area or not, but basically this is where people come to pray. And one of the ladies who heard us was a woman named Lydia 
from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. The purple goods were very expensive. They had to crush critters to get the juice. And so purple was quite expensive back then. And so she was probably wealthy, and she catered to a wealthy clientele. So you have Neiman, Marcus, and Lydia. And she was a worshiper of God. But as Dwight prayed, she was a worshiper of God, but she wasn't what we would call a believer in Jesus Christ. And I think it's a good reminder, we see in Acts several times, you can worship God, quote unquote, but not be specific about it. You can believe in a God, but not have a specific answer through Jesus Christ and the cross. And that's a good thing to remember as we go out and we talk to people. And so she was respectful, she was honorable, but she was not a believer in Jesus Christ himself. And the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And she responded. And in verse 15, after she was baptized, and her household as well, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. She must have had a big house. And she prevailed upon Paul and his group. And they went and they stayed with her. So that's Lydia. So what you're going to see in this passage is several different kind of people that the gospel goes to that receive Christ. And you'll notice immediately she was baptized. That's one of the themes in Acts. Well, everything's fine so far. Verse 16, though, as we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl, now a different category of person, a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are the servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. So again, like often, several things here. First of all, there is a spirit that's associated with the snake, the python, that Apollos, the god in their, their view, Apollo, uh, conquered. And in this region, that was kind of the thing, was the spirit of divination. And so this is demonic. This lady, this girl is demon-possessed. She has this demonic spirit. The demonic spirit has taken her over. And because she can fortune tell, her owners are making a lot of money. Now, she's a slave, so she's not making the money. But she's making a ton of money by fortune telling. And that's their profit. So this is about money for them. I can't imagine, I read this and knowing that Paul, like many of you, was a type A kind of person, that he was bopping along day after day and this girl was behind yelling this, and I'm like, why didn't Paul deal with this immediately? Uh, stop, will you? You're driving me crazy. So finally something happened and Paul just couldn't take it anymore, and he's like, all right, we're going to deal with this. And so verse 18, she kept doing this for many days. And Paul, having become greatly annoyed, so I think it's kind of funny, really. I mean, this is part of humor and acts. Paul finally is annoyed. And he turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. Again, immediate, right then. It was done. The demon leaves her. A couple of things. She's free. The slave girl is free, spiritually. But the slave owners are upset because it's about the money to them. And when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, 
They seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. It's about the money. I've seen that a lot with persecution. A lot of times, not always, but a lot of times it's about the money. That's what it boils down to. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, this is kind of like the, the police and the local authorities, the local authorities, they said, these men are Jews and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. And it's a lie. It's a deception. The truth is, they've cost us money. But they're not going to say that, so they get all high and mighty and noble. And so then the crowd comes in. That's the hard thing. The crowd joins in attacking them, and the magistrates tore the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. There's different levels of beating. Of course, they could scourge, which is what happened to Jesus, but this is not that. This is only, quote-unquote, beating with rods. So they would take reeds or rods, they would kind of bundle them together, and they would beat them. It would bruise, it would cause bleeding, but it would not take their lives. And the Latin admonitio means um, warning. So that's basically what we have here. It's done as a warning. Like, we're going to beat you. We're going to let you live. We're going to put you in pain so that you will not keep doing this. There is no trial. They just jump straight to the beating. They should be putting them on trial, but they don't. And so finally, in verse 23, when they had inflicted many blows on them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Now, the jailer is concerned for his life. He's concerned for his job. And he hears this. And he not only puts them in the jail, but he puts them in the inner prison so they can't escape. And he fastened their feet in the stocks. And they were wooden stocks. This would have been very uncomfortable, very painful. They would either sleep sitting or sleep standing up, but they wouldn't get to lie down. Rick, how does this sound to you? So we see this theme in Acts of believers being thrown in jail. It seems to continue. Believe it or not, that is thought to be the place where it was. I'm, I'm serious. That is traditionally considered to be the Philippian jail. Don't stone me if you disagree. But uh, isn't that interesting that these spots still exist, we think. So they're in jail. And they can't get out. They're locked up. Their feet are in stocks. There is nowhere they can go. It is impossible for them to leave. In verse 25, after midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. In that region, to have an earthquake was thought to be the work of the gods, ironically. And immediately, all the doors were opened, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. So immediately, it just opened up all the stocks. And so the jailer wakes up, and he saw that the prison doors were open, and he drew his sword and was about to kill himself. Because to them, if you let your prisoners go free, you would be killed. And he's going to beat the magistrates to the punch, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cries out with a loud voice, sensing what's going on. Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. Everything's fine. Now, a couple of things on this. It's very common in the book of Acts when somebody's in a stressful situation that they pray. 
And so that's kind of obvious, but what I want to say to you and to me is when do we pray the most fervently? The answer is when we're under stress, right? And I rebuke myself and say, well, Sid, why don't you pray that fervently anyway? Anybody relate to that? Why do we have to wait until we're under stress to pray like that? But these guys are cool and calm and trusting in God and they're praying. And the other thing that uh, is fascinating is they're singing hymns to God. So when I was with Voice of the Martyrs, uh, I got to thinking about this. And I thought, in all the teaching we do about persecution, I've never heard anybody preach or speak about the role of music in persecution. And I saw this passage and I thought, it's interesting, I wonder if this happens. So I start to ask people that were actually persecuted if music played a role. And I would show you this video, except it's like 12 minutes long, but it's a fascinating video that we have of Sarah Lou. Uh, a couple months ago, I showed you her video. She was in prison, she was bleeding, and that, she was the one marching you know, across the prison floors, bleeding on the floor, and then looked down and saw her blood and thought, Christ did this for me, I need to persevere. So I asked Sarah, when you were in prison, did music play any part? And she said, oh, yes, for sure. And she sang. Maybe sometime we'll show it somehow. We've got the video of her actually singing songs they sang in prison. She said it made a huge difference. And furthermore, her impact on fellow prisoners was so great that they took her out of that prison and put her somewhere else because they were tired of her influencing the prison for Jesus Christ. And so what that did was it spread the gospel to another prison. It was amazing. So music and, and persecution do go along together. And like I've said before, if you were to be persecuted and you were to be put in a place where you did not have a hymnal, how many hymns would you remember? How many things could you sing? It's a good question. So this is all going on and the guys are trusting in the Lord. And then the uh, earthquake happens and they were gonna be trusting whether there was an earthquake or not. But in verse 29, we have kind of a condensed version of what happened. The jailer, instead of killing himself, called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said this classic statement, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved. You and your household. And so he responded. And it's after midnight. And in verse 30, 32, they spoke the word of the Lord to him. I'm sure they explained in more detail. And to all who were in his house, he took them to his house of all things. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. So isn't this interesting? He washed their wounds and they invited him to Jesus who washed his soul. And that's what's going on. And so he treats them with kindness and grace as they're treating him. And he was baptized at once and all his family. And then he brought him up into his house and set food before. This is not common treatment of prisoners. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. And so then when daybreak comes, now the prisoners have to be accounted for, right? The magistrate sent the police saying, let those men go. And the jailer told Paul, saying, the magistrates have sent to let you go, therefore come out now and go in peace. But this is scheming by the magistrates. They don't want to look bad. 
So they want to just let Paul and Silas go without there being any kind of uproar. They just want them going out quietly, out the back door, if you will, because they don't want to be accountable for what they've done. And Paul's not going to let that happen because the fate of the church kind of is at stake. Like, if they just do this to us, then basically any believer in Philippi is going to be subject to mistreatment. So Paul wants to make sure that they don't get away with it. So he says, they have beaten us publicly, uncondemned men who are Roman citizens, and have thrown us into prison, and now do they throw us out secretly? No, let them come themselves and take us out. Because if they treat Roman citizens like that, they will be in a world of trouble. And this would have freaked out the magistrates. So verse 38, the police reported these words, and they were afraid when they heard that they were Roman citizens. So they came and apologized to them, and they led them out publicly and asked them to leave the city. They were accountable. So Paul and Silas went out of the prison and visited Lydia, and when they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them and departed. We're not leaving until the magistrates are held accountable for what they've done, at least publicly. And so there you go. So because of that, now they're able to go from Thessalonica down through Berea and down to Athens, the big city in Greece. And when they get into Athens, it's a city of philosophers. And we'll see in the next chapter that Paul will debate with the philosophers and some will receive and some will not in the marketplace of ideas. Before we go on, I want to share a few things that I see as common themes in the missionary journeys. I think this kind of will sum it up for you to to kind of see some takeaways here, some things I see. They go to the Jews in the synagogues first. They continue to do that out of respect for Israel to make sure Israel gets the word. In A.D. 70, in a few years, Jerusalem will be destroyed by the Romans, and that'll be it. They avoid causing undue offense. They're there for the gospel. That's the purpose. There is almost always opposition to the message. So if you're trying to share the gospel with someone and there's opposition, so be it. We have noticed over the many years and centuries that I've been ministering that whenever I give the gospel, babies start crying. You ever notice that? And I envision in my mind demons goosing the babies. It happens because Satan doesn't like that word going out. No offense to the babies, all right? Opposition is typically due to power, control, and money. Not always. Sometimes it's due to the ideas, but a lot of times it's related to money, power, and control. We see that in Acts quite a bit. Opposition with the Jews is due to religious competition, apathy, and rebellion. They regularly endure pain. I mean, let's be honest. And some hearers receive and some do not. We have to preach the gospel knowing some are just not going to receive. That's their choice. I notice in Acts the theme, they baptize new believers. We see that a couple of times here. And they do it immediately. There are local hosts. Uh, uh, some of my missionary friends look for people of peace when they go to a community, uh, people who will help them integrate with the community uh, who are not hostile. I'm just curious, uh, just a question for all of us. Whom are we hosting? Like, are you a pe person of peace to anyone? Are you hosting anyone? Are you reaching out to an unbeliever? If you did so, you would be keeping with what we see in the book of Acts. 
They established churches in new places, and furthermore, they established leadership. Now they're going to go around and establish churches and place elders in the communities. I notice this. We see it in Acts 16. What man thinks may not be what God wants. Amen? So like James says, when you make your plans, hold them with a light grip. Uh, you know, Rick, it's interesting, when we heard you talk today, I thought about that because I thought it would be interesting to see what God has for you and if it's remotely related to what you think it's going to be. Because I will tell you the things I've done in life, I had no clue what God was directing me to. Is there an amen out there? Yeah, it's just how God works. He stays in control. Next, Paul's moral and physical courage. He leans into opposition instead of running away from it. I think we should all learn from this. This is what I see in this passage. Paul if he was using common sense, would have avoided Lystra. Instead, he goes right into it. And that's the kind of man Paul was. And then finally, the gospel often touches people of influence, and many respond. We have to just be careful that we're not only giving it to the mighty and the wealthy, we're giving it to all, but many of those people of influence do respond. It's fascinating watching Hollywood right now, uh, I see that with the Hollywood Prayer Network. Uh, you see evidence of revival even in Hollywood as people are coming to grips with what really matters in life. And I pray for that. And we really should. So all these things we see in the book of Acts, it's fascinating. I just feel like I'm just barely getting into the surface of it. But I want you to think this week, uh, as you think about your sphere of influence, whom does God want you to reach? Whom does God want you to be a person of peace to? And how do you reach the people with the different ideas that are out there? Because it's not easy to share the gospel these days. So let's pray. Father, thank you for each person who is here today. Thank you for the body of Christ. Thank you for your work. Uh, Lord, you have a calling for each uh, person here. And again, you have intersected all of us in this place at this time for reasons that only you know. So I pray, Father, that when we think about our lives, we would consider that there is a purpose there and that because of that, we need to think about what you're doing, not just what can make us comfortable. And then we can think about our circle of influence and whom you would wish for us to reach and how to do that. And I pray for that as us as a church as well as individuals. There's something you've got in mind. And from what I've seen over the years and from what I've seen in the scriptures, I don't really have a clue because it's not about my mind. It's about what you're doing and about what the Spirit wants. Help us to be open to that in Jesus' name.